How's everybody doing this morning? You can clap for yourselves. Good, good, you're good. Uh, my name is Kevin Sampson. I'm the lead pastor here. If you are a middle school student, uh, you are released uh, to go be a part of your uh, middle school stuff. So uh, it looks like they already left. Um, but I was told, don't forget, my son, don't forget, Dad. Um, so I didn't forget. Now, we're in uh, the book of Jonah, um, going through um, Jonah here, and we're going to start at the end of Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And there's really two big things that I'm just praying that God helps us see. The first is, is that uh, we would see the mercy of God and that we would experience uh, God's mercy in our life in a greater way. And the second thing is, um, out of that, that somehow God would not just ex- you know, expose us to his mercy more in our lives, but somehow the mercy of God would, would move through our lives. And so that's what I'm praying as we go through the book of Jonah, uh, just praying that those two things happen. So follow along with me as we um, come to the end of Jonah 1, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Here we are, finally Jonah and and the fish. We're finally here. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter two, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. What else would you do um, in that situation? And here's his prayer. Jonah said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled all about me. All your waves and your breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you... Lord my God brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And after that, the Lord commanded the fish and graphically described the fish vomited Jonah onto dry land. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I love to read a lot, and uh, just uh, about a year or so ago, um, Aubrey made me get rid of uh, a ton of books. They were just kind of taking over our house um, in our bedroom. I have a little office down at our house, and then our office at base camp, and she's like, they need to go. So I, I had to give away, it might have been a, at least a thousand, and uh, I, I read a lot, but there's really only a couple books that I've ever read multiple times, and one of those books was a book called um, What's So Amazing About Grace by a guy named Philip Yancey. If you haven't read it, pick it up, read it. Uh, but he starts out um, by saying, he begins with the story about this prostitute who uh, figured out one day that she could make more money um, pimping her a toddler daughter than she could um, really selling herself for a whole night. And so she did this for a while. And uh, it's, I mean, it's, hard, it's heartbreaking to he- just even hear something like that, but she did this for a while until she countered a group of, of Jesus-loving Christians. And for her, it was the first time that these, 
that she met Christians that didn't look down upon her, that weren't, weren't condescending and really weren't condemning or, dis, or ex, displaying any sort of disdain towards her. And really what she says is that they came to her like Jesus would have, just full of grace. And then this, this group of Christians, they talked about what it means to follow Christ. She, she made a decision to, to follow Jesus Christ. And at the end of really explaining what Christianity was all about, they invited her to come to church with them. And she said, church? I mean, church? I mean, why would I want to go to a place with a bunch of people that's going to make me feel worse than I already do? I mean, her, and her words... Uh, sadly, are often too true. I mean, th- this, this woman articulated what happens uh, so often in, in churches today. I mean, churches are known for a lot of things, but rarely are they known for grace. I mean, it's tragic, par- partly because, especially because grace was the hallmark of Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry. You see this in uh, John chapter 1, Jesus or John is, before he even talks or has a conversation with Jesus, he just sees him. In John chapter 1, he just says, at the sight of Jesus, he, he just declared, he is a, a man full of grace and truth. I mean, everything about Jesus embodied grace. He, he sat down with a, a Samaritan prostitute in Samaria. A woman who a good Jew would avoid in a place good religious people would go around, but Jesus speaks and he embodies grace to this woman. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus, he's at a party, and uh, it's a party of, you know, a bunch of religious people, so it probably wasn't a great party, but uh, it had a party of a lot of religiously, morally upright people. And in the middle of, of this, of this these religious, morally pious people, Jesus allows this woman, who the scriptures say lives a sinful life. I mean, she was a prostitute. She enters in. The place goes silent, looks down upon this woman, and Jesus receives her, and she washes his feet with her hair. I mean, that is grace. I mean, Jesus lunches with the tax collector. That's grace. And Jesus saved you, and he saved me, not because we're lovely. Some of you are lovely, though. I mean, not because we grew up on the right side of town, or not because we have the right kind of education, not because of the choices we've made, not because our mom is saved, not because our dad is saved, not because we necessarily deserve it at all. He saves us because of grace. And what can happen really in our lives is that a person can come to Christ and follow Jesus and, and then like spiritual amnesia begins to set in and we forget that the very thing that brought us into God's kingdom is also the very thing that keeps us in the kingdom. And that is grace. So here's the deal. I hear you. I got you. I got you. Here's the deal. We started Renewal Church uh, a few years ago. And, and look, if, as long as I'm here, if we're going to be known for anything, it's going to be grace. Okay, it, and look, if people don't know Christ and, and they're, they're coming here or they're coming around us and, and they may not have gotten a memo for how things work, 
Uh, they may not have gotten a memo for how you're supposed to dress. Uh, they may not have gotten a memo for when to stand, when to sit, what to say, what to do. They just didn't get the memo. But we will never be a people who show condemnation or condescension. We will be a people of grace. Amen. And I, I know there's, there's some of you who are, are thinking, Pastor, it's, it's grace and truth. And you're right, that's what the scriptures say. But, 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 the, but the truth is that uh, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the truth of the gospel. I mean, even the truth sends us right back into a position of grace, that we were dead in our sins, but Christ makes us alive. For by grace we are saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. This is a gift of God, and this is the truth. And I just really the epitome of hypocrisy is to really be fundamentally saved by grace, but then to withhold that grace from others. So, so what does this have to do with Jonah chapter 2? Really everything, because Jonah was one of those people, those religious people who uh, was withholding grace. He was a prophet, a powerful preacher of the word of God, but Jonah had forgotten about the grace of God. So, so God takes Jonah on this unforgettable journey, that's grace-filled journey in the belly of a seaweed-infested fish. But what, here's the thing, I, the, really here, in Jonah here, we, can't, we don't want to let the fish really distract us from what's happening here. Because really the fish, it's just like a, an Uber driver taking Jonah through this journey of grace. He's just taking him somewhere. That, that's all really the fish is doing. But really the point is that God will do whatever he needs to do to make us into God-glorifying, grace-filled people, including interrupt your life. I mean, that's what he's doing to Jonah. Jonah had a plan. This wasn't it. Jonah ran, and he ran hard. He ran fast, and he wouldn't turn around. God sends a storm. That didn't work. And then Jonah almost kind of had, like, he felt bad because the ship was going to sink. And so he's like, throw me over so you don't die. Jonah thought he was going to die. And, and really, the fish gets him, and what God's doing is saying, hey, look, time out. Time out. Now, I don't know if uh, any of you guys have been watching the NBA playoffs um, I really only like watching the last five minutes of a good basketball game. But, but really, you, you've seen the last couple minutes of every basketball game. It takes forever because there's tons of timeouts. I mean, the coach, every 10 seconds, timeout, timeout. The other coach, and timeout. And, and really, what a timeout is, an inter, it's an interruption to the game just to make sure that the players get it, that they know the play, that they know what's happening. And this is what God is doing to Jonah. God is... God is making Jonah, and he's calling timeouts in our life so he can make us into gracious people. God has no problem interrupting our lives in order to help us understand grace. You see this with Jonah. You see this really throughout the narrative that we've read so far. Jonah's life is unraveling, self-inflicted. I mean, God calls Jonah to be a part of something great. He needs to go east. Jonah runs west. Scriptures say he goes down to Joppa. He gets on a ship. A bad storm comes. He goes down to the bottom of the ship. Like the scriptures are saying it without saying it. Like Jonah's like, he's getting worse. And then 
he goes into a deep sleep, it's getting worse, and then he jumped out of the boat in the middle of the Mediterranean monsoon, which I was looking these up, they're 90 plus mile an hour winds, and he assumed he was going to die, going down into the deep. And it was there where God provided a fish. And this fish, it saved his life. And three days later, the Lord commanded the fish to spit Jonah out onto dry land. And as wild as it seems, it was an act of grace. But the point wasn't the fish. The point is the Lord of the fish and what Jonah learned in the belly of the fish. So there's just three quick things I want us to see here that Jonah learns that we must learn if we're going to be gracious people. And the first thing is that God is steadfastly loving and present in your life. I mean, think about this. He's inside of a giant fish. I mean, he can't move. It's dark. It's like he's in a casket buried in the ground. And if you have any hints of anxiety or claustrophobia in your life, you're just thinking, that is horrible. I mean, it says there's seaweeds wrapped around his head. He probably couldn't move his arms. So it's just like that. So he can't, I mean, he can't like get it out. And any, you ever swim in a lake and there's like seaweed down below you? You're just like, you freak out. And you think it's a great white and you're swimming in the Fox River. But it's just like the whole thing. And here's Jonah. Like that is, that's the position he's in. It's, it's a picture of, of depression at its deepest. I mean, it literally paralyzed because he cannot move. And he says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. In his deepest, darkest moments, it's, it's really all his own doing, he called to the Lord. And this is what he said. This is incredible. It said, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And this is what he says about God. He says, and you listened to my cry. When I was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. I mean, what we're seeing is just look at any moment. In any circumstance, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what is going on, no matter what the situation may be, always you can turn to the Lord, not because you need to go find him, because you could turn to the Lord because you're going to discover that he's already there. If he's there with Jonah answering his prayers and look, the man's sin is just blatant and, and yet here he is discovering really that no matter how far he runs, he can't run far enough, he can't run fast enough because the God of the scriptures is everywhere and even there, even there in the bottom, the bottom of his life. I remember part of my story is a little like Jonah. I grew up in a Christian family. I came to know Jesus when I was a young boy and I really felt like I, that, it was, that it was real um, you know, around 13 or 14 years old, I started drinking, and uh, um, turns out I was pretty good at it pretty early, and uh, I was just, my drinking skills were up and to the right, and uh, it's kind of a little bit funny, but um, sad as well, but I, 
So just, you know, through late junior high, through high school, into college, and, and I just remember uh, just finally starting to, you know, looking back, be able to realize what was going on. I, I drank that much partly because it was fun. You know, let's be honest, some of you, maybe you've drank a little too much before. It, it can be fun, so that was a little bit of it, but there was, there was also just unresolved pain and sadness and, and anger in my life. And so it was easier just to drink and forget about it. And then here's the biggest thing. I knew since I was a young boy that God had a call on my life. And I had no idea what to do with it. I thought I had to, like, be a good person. And I just had a great track record of showing that I was not a very good person. So uh, drinking was away from running from God. 20 years old, I'm at a party. Um, it's around Christmas. <clears throat> it's too late. Uh, I start drinking. And... Uh, I drink too much too fast, and so I need to leave. My house is a mile to the left. Um, I'm, I start walking what I think is that way, but it's ended up being the other way. I end up five miles to the right, woken up um, after a couple hours, passed out. It had been snowing. There's a layer of snow on me. I mean, it was the bottom. It was low. I remember just thinking, ah. Oh. There, I don't, I'm no better than a bum. And it was in that moment, and I'll never forget it. I didn't, I didn't hear a voice, but I knew, it was, I knew it was Jesus speaking to me. He said, get up, go home, I have something for you. I gave my life so you could find yours. And I'm telling you, it was a life-changing moment because in, really in the depths of my life, Jesus was already there, and it, and it changed me. And you began to see, look, look, even my sin, even my rebellion cannot keep me away from him. So look, the first thing we need to see is that God is steadfastly, lovingly present in your life, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter how deep a hole you've dug or how deep a hole you've fallen in. God wants you to discover that he is in it with you. That's the first thing. The second thing, that if we're going to be gracious people, we got to come to terms with that we cannot sell, save ourselves, nor can we ultimately fix ourselves. We can't do it on our own. Verse 6, the roots of the mountains I sank down, Jonah says, to the roots. The earth beneath barred me in forever. I mean, what he's saying, there is no possible way to open those gates and get himself out. We are barred in. I did a, a, a deep word study into this, and what that means is he's stuck. He's confined. He's powerless. He can't do anything about it. And this is, this is how it is when it comes to trying to save ourselves or really ultimately fix our lives. J.R. Packer, he says it really it illustratively. He says, our sin has rendered us spiritually impotent. I mean, we can't repair ourselves. We can't cleanse ourselves. I mean, our moral effort is futile. Our, our religious activity can't do it. And it's, it's, we're not, the Bible doesn't say we're all bad people. It just says, like, we're rebellious against God. Even when we try to do good things, it's for ourselves. It's for our own ego. It has nothing to do with God. We're ungracious. Even when we look nice, we're still un 
gracious. We, are, we cannot save ourselves nor fix ourselves. We have to just come to terms with that. And the third thing is, if we're going to be gracious people, we must see how costly the salvation is that God provides. Several times, Jonah looks not just towards heaven. But he says this. He's, don't miss it, he says, but he looks toward your holy temple. Twice he says that. Why? Because Jonah knew it was really in the temple over the mercy seat that God promises to speak to us. And really, that's, this is what Jonah, this is how it worked. In the temple, in the ancient world, uh, for the Israelites, it was, they had this Ark of the Covenant, and it, inside it was the Ten Commandments, which no human being could ever uh, fully obey or keep anyway. And so they were in the Ark, and on top of that was this gold cover. And on that gold cover was these two seraphim, or like these angels with these wings. And in the middle of it was something called a mercy seat. And what's interesting is we don't totally exactly know what it was uh, that was there for the mercy seat, but we just know that once a year a sacrifice was made. The blood was sprinkled in the mercy seat over the Ten Commandments, shielding us from the condemnation of the law. Blood was sprinkled, and it was only by the sacrificial death of another that our forgiveness was secured. And so what, what Jonah sees is that he's looking towards the mercy seat and the blood that's on there. He says, look, oh, look, I can experience your presence because of your costly sacrifice. And Jonah, you know, we can speak of God's forgiveness and God's presence in a greater way than Jonah ever could. Jonah sees a picture of this, but he doesn't see the whole thing because it wasn't really until centuries later that it was revealed that a lasting sacrifice could be made, not by some sacrificial animal, but only by the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it came at the cost of his own life. And Jesus voluntarily gave himself, and he secured your salvation. He gave his life so you could find yours. At the cost of his own life, everything, he gave himself for you. The way the scriptures describe it, it says, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That God took it all upon himself in Jesus Christ. The pain, the wrath, all of it, all that we deserved, and, and Jesus voluntarily and willingly and lovingly put it, he took it upon himself, and God turned his back away momentarily. And all that was due towards us was put on Jesus Christ. And all of the beauty and the glory and the grace and the mercy and the wholeness and the life and the power and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, all of that was placed on us. And that happens the moment you come to Christ. And so look, we're just like Jonah. Look, it, you're, you're, never gonna, you're never gonna be a gracious person unless you really see the costly sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to take the Lord's Supper, which is, look, is the, we do this every week because look, we, we sing about grace, we can preach about grace, and, and 
every week, we, we literally taste and, and touch and, and ingest the grace and, and mercy of God. Somebody pray for us, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us first. We thank you that uh, even in the depths, and there's some of us here that are in the depths, even right now, you know the details, Lord Jesus, and I just pray that in those places, Lord, that you would be found. May we never be afraid to turn from where we're at and to turn towards you, knowing that you are already there. We love you. We trust you. We thank you for the giving of your self and your life so that we could find ours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.